The show you love with even more local news and more local talk. The voice of the valley. The Mike Douglas Show. Now weekdays from 3 till 5. On air and online. Power Talk 1360 KFIV. Here's your host, Mike Douglas. And a wonderful Monday afternoon to you here on the Mike Douglas Show. Mike Douglas with you, your concierge for conversation as we begin another week of broadcasting here on Power Talk 1360 KFIV. The countdown to November 8, 2022. No longer do I say it's a tipping point. It will be a milestone one way or the other. The countdown is now 85 days. And if I am correct in the calculations here, that also gives us 2,040 hours, 122, 400 minutes, and 7,344,000 seconds to research the propositions, to research the candidates, and make good, informed decisions on November 8th. Now, one of the things that I know will not be on that ballot, for sure, is the recall of George Gascon, the district attorney for Los Angeles County. The recall attempt has failed. They did not gain enough of the uh, qualified and certified signatures. This uh, breaking news came out, no, just about an hour ago. They had over 715,000 signatures, only 520,050 were valid, and they needed 566,857 to qualify. So they were short by just under 46,000, I guess. I'm just doing some quick math in my head, which is always uh, always dangerous for a liberal arts ma- uh, major. So uh, <clears throat> 190, almost 196,000 were invalid, and then there were duplicates, etc. Point being... The recall, the effort to recall District Attorney George Gascon in Los Angeles County has failed due to the inability to have the required number of signatures. Here's George Gascon tweeting out uh, not too long ago Grateful to move forward from this attempted political power grab. I don't know that it was a political power grab. I think it was a lot of people saying, we don't like you as DA. But anyway, that's his interpretation. Grateful to move forward from this attempted political power grab, tweets George Gascon. Rest assured, L.A. County, the work hasn't stopped. That would make me feel a lot better if I lived in L.A. County. He goes on to say, my primary focus has been and will always be keeping us safe and creating a more equitable justice system for all. I remain strongly committed to that work and to you. So there we go. Uh, in terms of recalls, it seems uh, only the people of San Francisco really were, uh, were successful of late in, uh, in recalling their DA, Chesa Bodine. Not so for George Gascone. Again, uh, they needed 566,857 
signatures. They only had uh, a little over 520,000 that were valid. So there we go. George Goscone will continue his work as the DA in uh, Los Angeles County. And uh, that's, uh, you get what you vote for. Well, not you individually, but as as an, uh, a group of voters in L.A. County, and we look at the attempted recall of our governor, Gavin Newsom, in California, as a collective group of voters, we get what we voted for. Except if your guy's in the White House and you have the majority of votes in the House of Representatives and you have the deciding vote in the Senate, in that case, it's not really the rule of law that, <clears throat> that that's the point there in terms of elections. You can influence the rule of law by using the FBI to um, intimidate, uh, to discredit, and to attempt to cancel any potential run by the guy that was the president before you and the guy that might be running again. So I would say we do get what we vote for, kind of. I guess I have to clarify that a little bit. What do you think? Are you... (laughs) Again, I look at uh, November 8th, only 85 days away as a milestone for both California and the nation as well. Uh, It will be a statement by the American public, we like the way things are going or we don't like the way things are going. And we'll see. We'll see what happens. Again, it is no longer to me a tipping point. It's not that tenuous. To me, it is, we're at the edge of the cliff, and it's going to be a milestone. And uh, we'll see what, all all pointing back to our mission here to provide as many of you as possible with as much information as we can so that you can make an educated, reasoned, and intelligent vote on November 8, 2022, And then, of course, uh, we'll keep on keeping on towards the uh, major presidential election coming up in November 2024. So there we go, that update. George Goscone, safe and secure in his uh, role as the DA of Los Angeles County. Axios reporting that former President Trump is claiming that the FBI, in its raid last a week ago, last Monday took two of his active passports during, uh, during the search, behind the search warrant. He said uh, earlier today that the temperature has to be brought down after a surge of violent threats against federal law enforcement. This always happens, doesn't it? When, when people become so frustrated with something that is out of their control, and the FBI is, is out of America's control. The FBI now is controlled by the Democratic Party. It is. It, it, we know that. We, we acknowledge that. It should not be. It should, like justice, have blindfolds on so that the law is 
enforced without regard to political party, regard, without regard to race, without regard to religion, without regard to economic class, all of that. All of those should-bes are now out the window because we have seen over time a pattern. And the pattern is known now. That's, that's, that's not up for debate any longer. So the question is, will enough Americans recognize that come November 2024, on the 8th, 85 days from now? Or will the majority of Americans say, we, we like 8.5% inflation? We like using the FBI against political opponents we don't like. Uh, we like doing away with the gas and oil industry. Uh, we like the, the green scheme. We like the way things are going. We, we like it. We like the way President Biden dealt with Afghanistan just about a year ago. We, we like it. And basic, many of us will say, well, we don't like it, but we'll find out whether we are in the minority. And if we're in the minority, that, that's one of the outcomes of the rule of law. And so uh, when it comes to the rule of law, we have, to, uh, we have to say, well, those who hold the power have the power to decide how the rule of law is enforced. And therein lies the challenge. Talk to you about another challenge, but this, this has a good ending. This is a, this is a good thing. Here's a challenge. Interest rate hikes are slowing home price growth in some areas. But here's the good news. You can still get top dollar for your home right now with our buddy Dan Phipps. Now, if you're worried about leaving money on the table, call the agent I recommend, Dan Phipps. Dan's proprietary system is designed to maximize your sales price. And he guarantees multiple offers in 72 hours for full market value. Or Dan says, I'll sell it for free. You are in complete control with no required costly repairs, no long-term contracts. You pick your move date, and Dan can even help you find a home uh, before you uh, before you sell, before you move. Well, Matthew and Misty in Riverbank, they know all about it. They had a mess with their rental home. They were getting less than their payment, owing more than they thought they could get in a sale. But they went to Dan. Dan delivered a miracle, they say, setting a record price for their neighborhood and freeing them, they say. Well, call Dan Phipps. Dan is the man I recommend. He's the only agent to guarantee multiple offers in 72 hours or it's sold free. Call Dan Phipps, 209-593-1111 or go to danphipps.com. That's Dan Phipps with three P's, D-A-N-P-H-I-P-P-S dot com. And the Mike Douglas Show continues in three minutes here on Power Talk 1360 KFIV. Here's more with the voice of the valley, Mike Douglas on Power Talk 1360 KFIV and streamed on the iHeartRadio app. Yeah, welcome back to the Mike Douglas Show here on this Monday. Hard to believe it's Monday. Seems like we were just here on Friday. But here we go, starting another busy broadcast week on the Mike Douglas Show on Power Talk 1360 KFIV. Mike Douglas here, your concierge for conversation and a lot to talk about in uh, the intervening 85 days 
until the midterm elections on November 8. Uh, now, there's some, uh, there's some good news. You say, well, Mike, that was kind of a downer. You brought us news about uh, the issue with George Gascone and such. Well, let me, let me give you some, some good news here. Here we go. Turns out, you know, Senator Scott Weiner here in California, he, he's becoming infamous. Do you know that? Uh, I've, I have seen national news media, to, uh, not from California, talk about Senator Scott Weiner and a lot of his uh, bills and his, his uh, perspectives. Anyway, uh, California Senator Scott Weiner, uh, remember his bill that would have decriminalized uh, hallucinogens? Yeah, well, it didn't apparently make it out of the Appropriations Committee. It was converted into what I understand is a study bill. So basically, uh, Wiener pulled the measure, and he's going to try it again next year. So you got to say, what is he on drugs? Well, I don't know, but it's certainly about drugs. And uh, we, we may see that bill yet rise again next year. Uh, lawmakers last week also, and this was interesting, uh, this bill, remember there was, uh, uh, the object was to hold social media companies responsible for addicting kids to their platforms. Well, the Senate Appropriations Committee put the bill in the suspense file, meaning it's not going to be moving forward. I don't know. uh, How do you feel about that? Uh, I, I just... I think it's the parents' responsibility to decide and to regulate what their children watch, what they do, what they become addicted to. Uh, It's not the social media companies. Now, am I in love with social media companies? Not at all. But again, I I try to be fair. And uh, I, I think in terms of fairness, I don't, I don't see that it's the social media company's fault if children become addicted to them. I mean, people, if you have, uh, if one has an addictive personality, one can become addicted to just about anything. Uh, are, are we seeing, uh, so what, what are people addicted to on uh, gambling uh, online? Are we, are we suing the, um, the social media companies for online gambling are we oh here's a good one what about pornography are are, are we suing the online uh, big tech companies for pornography which is a huge addictive uh, behavioral factor across america no but uh you know kids are always you know if that's always the the card that you pull out of the deck to make your proposal have emotional impact. What about the children? And Nancy Pelosi does that does that quite a bit. It's all about the children. Well, usually not about the, the children. But what's interesting about this, remember the the idea of the bill was to hold social media companies responsible for addicting children to their platforms. Well, CalMatters has report reported that several big players in the high-tech industry 
recently gathered with influential California lawmakers at apparently an upscale Napa Valley resort. If it was a Napa Valley resort, I'm sure it was upscale. Now, as you, have you ever taken a, that, that uh, train trip up through the wine country? Now, as you know, our choice, Lori and I, is we, we don't consume alcohol, but not doesn't matter about taking a train trip through the, through the uh, wine country. It's beautiful. It's a beautiful. We did that several years ago. Well, well worth doing. Anyway, the bill was so these uh, top tech companies apparently pulled in. Uh, they're not named, but some influential California lawmakers took them up to this upscale Napa Valley resort. And as a result, uh, the California lawmakers said, no, we we're not going to allow local prosecutors to file civil suits against big tech companies for uh, products or features that they may or may not know addict children. And there were a couple of, well, how do you feel about that? I'd be interested, 209-551-3483. Should we hold the big tech companies responsible for children becoming addicted to social media? Is, is that, to, to me, if you're going to do that, then you need to sue the parents as well. Sue everybody that's that's involved. A couple of other bills uh, also regarding the tech industry. Um, they did advance with amendments, but let's see. Uh, here, uh, another one killed by a committee. Oh, I'm glad to see this one didn't make it out. A bill that would have required gun owners to buy liability insurance and another which would have put a cap on copays for insulin. These types of over-regulatory efforts by the state of California are killing us. Especially glad to see that uh, bill that did not make it out, uh, which required gun owners to buy liability insurance. It, it, it's not about... It, it, I mean, think about this. What would be the motivation for a lawmaker saying, if you own a gun, you have to buy insurance for it? The idea is to create another obstacle to you owning a gun. In California, they're doing their level best up in Sacramento to create a hostile environment to owning guns and to having uh, CCWs. They're doing their level best. And remember Rob Bonta in his brilliance as our uh, attorney general, his department accidentally released all of our information, those of us who have CCW permits. So now uh, our information was out there for the public to see. And Rob Bonta sent this letter. Yeah, we're so sorry about that. Uh, I don't think that's... uh, (laughs) I don't think that even approaches a solution to this problem. Do I think it was intentional? I don't know. I don't know the motivation. I have no proof. I have no proof at all. Do I think it was irresponsible? Absolutely. And it's another reason that uh, next time Rob Bonta is up for election that, uh, like George Goscone, I think people need to replace him. But we'll see what the majority of 
Californians have to say about that. And speaking of legislation, President Biden is due to sign the Inflation Reduction Act tomorrow, which even Bernie Sanders says is not a reduction of, is not going to do anything to reduce inflation. In fact, the CBO said that. Uh, there, it's just, it, how, how many of these half-truths, how many of these flat-out lies is it going to take before people pull the curtain and look at who's behind the curtain and what's behind the curtain? This bill isn't going to reduce inflation. Even Bernie Sanders says it's not going to reduce inflation. Very interesting. Congressman Josh Harder is due to be with us uh, tomorrow if his schedule permits. It'll be very interesting to see what he says about, uh, about this bill as well. So anyway, President Biden is expected to sign the uh, so-called Inflation Reduction Act into law tomorrow on Tuesday. So um, there it goes. Tax 87,000 uh, more IRS agents. And from what I understand from the bill, they all can be armed, carry guns. You know, for a bunch of people who hate guns, it's amazing to me that in legislation now they're having 87,000 more people under their control who will have guns. Why do IRS agents need guns? Conversation continues 209-551-3483 in five minutes. Here as the Mike Douglas Show continues on Power Talk 1360-KFIV. The Mike Douglas Show. Now we get from 3 till 5 on Power Talk 1360-KFIV. Follow us on Facebook and Instagram. 1360-KFIV is your place online. Let's get social with Power Talk 1360-KFIV. And welcome back to the Mike Douglas Show here on Power Talk 1360-KFIV. Mike Douglas here, your personal concierge for conversation. And it is my honor and privilege to uh, be in your service in that regard. Our mission here is to be live and local, to make sure that your voice is heard, uh, whatever perspective you may have, and uh, to make sure that we get as many perspectives out as possible so that we can make good, informed, rational, and reasonable decisions, not only about our day-to-day activities, but especially when it comes to voting. And again, we are 85 days away from uh, the midterms on November 8, 2022 been talking about this uh, issue with uh, the bill that fortunately hasn't uh, did not make it out of uh, <laughs> make it out of Sacramento the hallowed halls of the Capitol up there again uh, the the idea was that the bill would hold social media companies responsible for addicting children to their platforms. Well, the Senate Appropriations Committee uh, put the bill in the suspense file, so it's not going to be going anywhere, at least at this time. What do you does does that bother you at all? Here, here's our number here: two zero nine five five one three four eight three. Should we allow 
Should we allow people to sue, to allow uh, prosecutors to uh, take on social media companies with, with the allegation that they are attempting to addict kids to their social media outlets? Well, isn't that the whole point of advertising? What, what about kids' cereal? What about Captain Crunch? Is there still Captain Crunch? That was always fun. What's another one? Uh, what, what's the, uh, you know, here in my Scott Irish heritage, Lucky Charms. What about Lucky Charms? I loved Lucky Charms as a kid. Loved it. Pick out all the marshmallows and eat them. What is, should we sue Lucky Charms? Because I had an affinity for the little marshmallowy things. What, what about personal responsibility? But do you see that? We no longer value personal responsibility, do we? No. Uh, even in, uh, in terms of a work ethic. I, I've had some conversations with people recently who are just absolutely incredulous at the lack of of a work ethic these days. And what do I mean by that? Well, a work ethic is something you really can't enforce. A work ethic is something that is inside of you. It is it is a value that you have. And if I may, a good work ethic is a biblical principle. Uh, God has a lot to say about work. In fact, there's a whole theology of work. I won't go into that right now, but just to say that there are biblical foundations for a good work ethic. Now, what does that mean? It doesn't mean just doing the bare minimum. A great work ethic means you do what you need to do to accomplish the job, and you just don't do the job to make it 100% right. You, you give it the extra 115 120%. I'm I'm thinking back, and I really didn't think about this at the time, but I remember early on in in one phase of law enforcement I was in, uh, I was uh, the only person in emergency services in that particular city, and I was in the in the police department, and there was uh, hardly any budget. Uh, they barely had a budget for my salary. And so I, I know a lot of you would say, well, you've got to be nuts, Mike. But I, I would go out, and if they didn't have money for a radio at the moment, I went and bought one with my own money because I needed it to do the job. And I know that many of you who are teachers, and I can say this uh, from watching my family, both my mother and father were teachers, my sister's a teacher, I know that they they went, and my sister still does, go way beyond what's expected. And, and they will use their own funding, their private funds, in order to get some supplies they need to make sure that they're doing a great job as a teacher. And to me, it's not just about doing the job, but uh, our... Foreman emeritus at Advancing Vibrant Communities, John Engel. John is in his uh, late 80s now. Still working, by the way, still volunteering uh, to a limited degree. And he always talks about, Mike, we're not going to just do the job here. It's going to be pressed. Meaning like if you're 
cleaning, uh, dry cleaning a, a pair of pants. You just don't dry clean it and give it back to the, you, you press it so that the creases are exact. So it's pressed. And, and John's whole life is about being doing, doing the job so it's pressed. Do you see that anymore? Do you see that commitment? Well, I, I've tried to hire people to do some jobs that because of um, interim physical issues, I was not able to physically do at the moment. I attempted to hire. It was like pulling teeth. And I mean just to show up and then to do the job and do it well. You know, like this morning, I was on my John Deere rider mower. Thanks to my buddy out in Oakdale who fixed it for me a couple months ago. I'm out there on my John Deere rider mower, and I could have just driven around and just to do one part of the property that's mostly visible to the rest of the world takes um, three hours, sometimes three and a half, four hours. But a reason it takes that long is after I do the rough cut, I come out with the weed whacker and and I make sure that the edges are nice and that the areas around the trees that I can't get at with the mower, that that those are leveled out. So it looks pressed, to use my my friend John's analogy there. But that, that, and it's not something that I do to have to wear as a badge of honor. It's just that's been ingrained in me. And for so many people these days, going above and beyond to do the job right, no, it's it's all about just doing the bare minimum. And I'm not, I don't know that this is an exact corollary. Uh, I'm not, I'm not sure I should even attach it. But this, I saw this today. As you probably know, uh, a lot of Starbucks outlets are being unionized. Well, here we go. Starbucks workers, Starbucks workers at a uh, store in Santa Cruz began a three-day strike Saturday morning, making it the first Starbucks in California to go on strike. Really? It's the store at Ocean and Water Streets, not familiar with it, but they unionized in May and they're accusing the company of unfair labor practices, refusing to bargain with the union, prompting labor action. Look, to me, and, and I've been in situations where I didn't like the structure that I was in. And I left. You have a couple of choices. If you feel that you're really in a toxic environment, in, in my opinion... You either work to address it with the higher-ups or if the toxicity is so steeped into the roots of the system so that there is systemic toxicity from top to nearly the bottom, then the thing to do is to go do something else. It is not like working at Starbucks, and I'm not minimizing that. Listen, I worked retail Early on in my 20s, I worked in electronics retail. I didn't make much money at it at all, but I enjoyed electronics. I enjoyed the people. And generally, I enjoyed 
working in that environment. I liked my boss, the owner of the store. Back when those retail outlets were actually, they had owner-operated stores. I enjoyed him. We had a lot of fun together. And I learned a lot from him about business. And I learned how to count change back. Boy, that's a lost art, isn't it? So my, my point is, here we go. A bunch of customers are coming to Starbucks, uh, apparently, or went to Starbucks in Santa Cruz this weekend. And, uh, oh, there are the baristas apparently outside. Uh, Melissa Martinez, an organizer with Workers United, basically said our demand is no contract, no coffee. All right, so who, who who's that really hurting? The customers. Uh, to me, if I show up at a store at a retail outlet that I expect to be open, if they want my money, if they want me as a customer, and they're striking, all right, I'll go to a different store where they're not striking, or I'll go to a different coffee company. So to me, I just, I understand strikes and I understand unions. And I think the whole idea originally behind unions was a good idea. But like anything else, uh, when something gets too big, when it gets too influential, when the rank and file really don't have as much say in everything as, as you wish, then it, it works against. Uh, I mean, I was part of a, a union when I was uh, with the state. You had to be. And that union supported things I, I did not like. And I didn't know at the time that I could push back on that legally. By the way, if you're interested in that, I won't go into detail here, but the Pacific Justice Institute, pji.org, has on their website a section there. If you are in a union and you don't like what they're supporting, what your dues are going to support, they have some good resources for you there. Anyway, you can uh, check them out. All brings me back to the work ethic. Don't you wish that we would see a revival of a work ethic in the United States of America. I don't mean you, you can't be in a union. I don't mean that you, you can't address unfair practices by management. But I think pervasive throughout this country right now, right now is a lack of willingness, gumption, to do the best that you can do just for the sake of doing the best that you can do. Do you see signs of a diminishing work ethic today? 209-551-3483, 209-551-3483, our number. I'll be back in three minutes. We can talk about it here on the Mike Douglas Show on Power Talk 1360 KFIV. A pastor with passion. A minister with manners. Now, back to the Mike Douglas Show on Power Talk 1360 KFIV. And welcome back to the Mike Douglas Show here on this Monday afternoon on Power Talk 1360 KFIV. (laughs) I appreciate you out there more than you know. I just look forward to this two hours Monday through Friday. And and some of you really have incredible uh, senses of humor. 
one of you just uh, sent in. I was talking about Captain Crunch uh, earlier in terms of you remember the the bill that would have uh, uh, said that uh, prosecutors and folks could sue. Uh, media companies, social media companies, if children were being addicted to their social media outlets. And I just use an example. Well, you know, I, I ate Captain, Captain Crunch cereal and, and Lucky Charms. And I was wondering if Captain Crunch was still around. One of you just uh, sent in this. Captain Crunch has not yet succumbed to a serial killer. C E R. E-A-L. You folks are sharp. That was, I'm going to write that. I'm going to keep that one. That was really good. Our phone number here, 209-551-3483. 209-551-3483. Debbie from Stanislaus has some thoughts about uh, Kaiser striking. Debbie, what are your thoughts? Well, I thought you might be able to help me out here to understand and comprehend what's going on. I don't know who to believe anymore. I mean that statement. And I don't think I'm alone. I think our country is not only in big trouble with the obvious issues, but it's way past that. We have so much emotional illness in this country. I think that even the poor countries don't even hold a candle to what we are going through because we're doing things that are totally all emotional. My question is this, on the television, constantly, we're told and showed by Kaiser, a young woman, very attractive young woman comes on and and says she represents Kaiser, and they're rated at a four or five gold star, one of the best medical (coughs) entities in, in California, let alone the United States, because they have affiliates all over. Now, if they're the top, and the People that go to Kaiser can't even get treatment because that's on the television, too. Who are we to go to and who are we to believe? And I'm not done. The medical, the medical situation in our country, California, here I am, so this is what I've got. You can't even get any decent medical. And not only that, you have to keep your mouth shut when you go to that doctor There's only certain things you can talk about because if you talk about the wrong thing, they say, out the door, we we don't want anything to do with you. You go find another doctor somewhere. And I've gone to some of the biggest establishments and the littlest ones. They're all singing the same song. So I had to do homework on it. And I found out that our governor, our director of insurance, right directly underneath our governor, has given stipulations pertaining to any injured worker in the state of California, has to hide that. When they go to a doctor, a primary physician, they cannot utter one word about what their damages physically are. So we're prisoners, and we can't get proper medical. And I didn't realize that until I did some investigation about California and what they're doing to the injured workers. And nobody will talk uh, about it. They're scared. Debbie, I'm, I'm going to be bumping the clock here. I want to make sure I can get my reaction in uh, to your your original statement uh, about Kaiser, and uh, so so let me. I, w- I want to get that in before we before we hit the top of the hour here, and we have to leave the subject. Uh, I I see, and and let me make a broad brush issue here. Today, 
uh, corporate big medicine, corporate medicine is sadly the wave of the future. And you can, whatever label you want to put on it, Kaiser, smaller systems, whatever it might be. The problem is it's all about capitation. It's all about the dollar. It's all about the dollar. And when you have these big healthcare systems, they don't want the doctors spending a lot of time talking to you. In fact, the doctors have a prescribed, no pun intended, amount of time that they can spend with you. Gone are the days when the doctor can, whether it's a he or she, spend the time that they feel they need with you to really go over what you need. And, it, and these big systems are a double-edged sword. Uh, so let me say a, a huge system like Kaiser is really good if you're generally very healthy. Uh, the premiums tend to be lower, and if you're in good health, uh, that, that can be a, a good system for you. However, if you have specialized needs, if you have something that crops up, uh, and especially if you're on the older uh, end of the ma- maturity uh, scale, that can become problematic, and you, you may not get the excellence of care that you would have gotten with a private physician. And it, unfortunately, it's the wave of the future, Debbie. It's where medicine is going, and it's not good, in my opinion. I'm not, I'm not attacking Kaiser here. I'm just saying the nature of big medicine, and put Kaiser, whatever label you want to put on it, the nature of it is that if you're really healthy, it can be really cost-effective, and it's it's great. Now, are there people who have had good experiences with big companies like that? Sure. Are there people who have had bad experiences? Absolutely. But the bigger the system is, the more difficult it becomes to negotiate because you have to be your own advocate. The system is not going to be your advocate. You have to be your own advocate. I'm blessed because I have a wife who's a nurse practitioner, and uh, w- when we're in systems, medical systems, she knows which button, uh, buttons to press. She's not afraid to confront doctors and nurses and, and insurance companies and that sort of thing, but not everybody has that advantage. So, Debbie, I, I think you're right in many ways, but it's, it's what's coming is big medicine, and it's going to be a big problem for the rest of us. All right, we'll be back in five minutes here on the Mike Douglas Show at 209-551-3483 as we continue the conversation on Power Talk 1360 KFIV. The show you love, talking about the issues that are important to you. The voice of the valley, the Mike Douglas Show. Now every weekday from three till five on air and online. Power Talk thirteen sixty KFIB. Here again is your host Mike Douglas. And welcome to the Mike Douglas Show. Uh, we're headed into hour number two here on this Monday afternoon on Power Talk thirteen sixty KFIB. Mike Douglas with you. Always privileged and honored to serve as your concierge for conversation Monday through Friday, 3 to 5 p.m. Again, right here on Power Talk 1360 KFIV. Uh, we talked about earlier uh, in the day that uh, the effort to recall 
DA George Goscon in Los Angeles County will not go forward. They did not get the requisite amount of qualified signatures, so that effort is is not going to be on that ballot come November 8th. And uh, I have talked uh, just a couple of minutes ago about this story about Starbucks workers who had uh, just recently uh, joined a, a union at uh, a Starbucks Santa Cruz. Anyway, they're apparently they're uh, going on strike or went on strike this weekend. And we started to talk about work ethic. And then we got into the nature of uh, corporate medicine, big medicine right now. And I wanted to uh, refer, because uh, one of our callers brought this up, today more than, and I don't know if they have gone on strike, I don't have an update on that at the moment, but as the day started, it was expected that more than 2,000 Kaiser mental health workers were expected to go on strike this morning. The National Union of Healthcare Workers announced that. Uh, they said they've been uh, negotiating for a year. Talks have failed. The union is saying, well, patients face long lines to meet with healthcare professionals. And so they were looking at having picket lines in Fresno, Roseville, and uh, Sacramento. Not here in our immediate area, I don't believe. And again, I'm not, uh, I don't know if that actually occurred, but that was the plan. This morning, I don't know about you, but there are certain industries in my mind where we ought not to strike. And I've been and am a part of some. I don't believe if I know I may get some pushback and that's fine. Those of you who may be associated in these industries, you're, you're welcome to. Call and give us your opinion on this, 209-551-3483. But here are some industries off the top of my mind that I don't think should go on strike. Number one, law enforcement. I know, I know. Uh, there, there are some of you going to say, well, how, how are we going to get better? How are we going to get cost of living? I, I got it. But see, to me, the greater good is for the public. And a strike in law enforcement reduces public safety. And it's used as leverage to accomplish your goals. Another industry that I don't feel should have strikes is the Fire and Rescue Service. Again, because... Public safety is is at issue. And then the, th- um, well, let's just stick with law enforcement and fire and rescue. Do you agree with Do you agree with that? Well, the, all right. The third. Let me let me go there since we're talking about it. The third is healthcare, especially when they're dealing with mental health care. Here we are. Time and time again, dealing with headlines, somebody with mental illness commits a crime, kills someone, or or kills a bunch of people. Somebody with mental illness or addictions runs a car through a crowd, 
stabs somebody, commits acts of violence. Mental illness is often an issue in the homeless population. An issue. I didn't say the issue, an issue in the homeless population. So here we are drumming up this issue of mental illness and how we need to deal with it better. And mental health care workers are going on strike? Really? Does that add up? And I I know on on the union side, well, we need a better contract and we don't think the patients are being served as well as they should. My guess is it's mostly about the dollar. Now, I, I've served in two of those professions, law enforcement and, and fire and rescue. Uh, fortunately, I was never faced with having to go on strike in either of them. Now, one of the professions I'm in right now, I have three main gigs and a lot of sub-gigs. But one of them, as you know, is a, uh, is a pastor, uh, a minister, clergy. And I don't make very much money at that. What, what, if, what if all the clergy unionized? Huh? What if all of us pastors and priests and, and such decided we're going to have a national clergy union? And by golly, we're going to demand that we have cost of living increases every year. You're saying, well, you can't do that. Well... Why not? Now, I wouldn't do that because I have a conscience. And I I work extra hours that I'm not paid for. And I do things that I'm never paid for because I feel that's what God is calling me to do. It gets back to the work ethic thing that we were talking about earlier. But it isn't... I, I'm trying to get in, and no pun intended here, I'm trying to get into the minds of these mental health care workers. It, how, how do you go to sleep at night knowing that by you not being there, people who need your services are not getting your services? Help me see the other side of that coin that I'm not seeing. And again, I, I'm not talking about building cars which is important. I'm not talking about doing electrical work. Uh, a friend of mine from many years ago, he, uh, he often had, uh, he was an electrician, and, and he and his wife went round and round sometimes about the union. She wasn't particularly about unions, and he was all about unions. He said, well, if I'm on a job site, I need them to provide a specific ladder that is going to be safe. Okay, I got that. But we're talking about, we're not talking about worker safety here. We're, We're talking about patients not receiving the services they need. And so let's expand that to mental health care workers. Let's expand it to just medicine in general. Are you okay? Are you okay with 
maybe your anesthesiologist and your nurse going on strike. I had some delicate eye surgery done about two weeks ago. The anesthesiologist cracked me up. By the way, they were good people. They are wonderful people. And uh, I just, you know, when you, they have to be wonderful people when you trust your eye to them. And I had to think about that a long time. I, I'm going to entrust my eye to these people, some of whom I don't know. What if they had a bad hair day? What if their spouse burnt their toast this morning and they got a mat on? <laughs> you know, are they going to give me the, the excellent? Well, they do. They do. They rise to the occasion because they have a work ethic and because they're honorable and because they have integrity and because they're about the Hippocratic Oath. The Hippocratic Oath is not as in vogue today as it, as it used to be. So here's, here's my question, and again, you're welcome to push back here. Do you think health care workers, cops, and the Fire and Rescue Service should go on strike? 209-551-3483. Do you, do you think that's the right thing to do in those particular industries, professions? when public safety is at issue. Our number, 209-551-3483, and we'll continue the conversation in three minutes right here on The Mike Douglas Show on Power Talk 1360 KFIV. He's got issues. Let's talk about it. The Mike Douglas Show, on air and online. Power Talk 1360 KFIV. Now, welcome back to The Mike Douglas Show here on Power Talk 1360 KFIV. Been talking about... Uh, the work ethic and industries that strike. And my my personal opinion is that if you're in law enforcement, if we're in uh, the fire and rescue service, healthcare workers, whether it's uh, mental health or physical health, whatever, uh, I, I don't think should go on strike as a matter of conscience. I'm going to add another, <laughs> and this is based upon our experience not too long ago in traveling to the East Coast for a, a conference there in Arlington, Virginia. I don't think air traffic controllers ought to go on strike either. And, I've, and remember how Ronald Reagan handled that. I think he handled it well. Well, we're air, air traffic safety is at issue here. Now, if pilots go on strike, what is it? Well, it means that people are inconvenienced. Right now, there's a pilot shortage. I, I'm thinking what the I think the numbers are something between there's a national shortage of maybe nine thousand to twelve thousand uh, pilots. A shortage anticipated for this coming year. I think I have those numbers right by memory. Uh, that's one thing. That means that we're not going to be able to go where we need to go at the time we want to go, or even we may not be able to go. In our experience, just uh, not too long ago, we had uh, a, a litany of canceled and uh, postponed flights. Well, that that's inconvenience. Air traffic controllers not being on duty, that's not an inconvenience. That's a scary thought. So what do you think? 
Should these industries, I'm thinking about the plan today for uh, healthcare workers to, mental healthcare workers to strike against Kaiser. Do you think in good conscience that mental healthcare workers should go on strike? 209-551-3483, our number, 209-551-3483. Some words of wisdom. And I, I mentioned these last week. I'm keeping them in front of me. And from time to time, maybe once or twice a week, I'm going to bring them before you. Uh, these words of wisdom from Pastor Martin Nymoller. Again, if you remember, he was originally a defender of Nazism. And uh, when he wound up being put in Dachau and another concentration camp himself, he later on mused over some guilty feelings he had. And he said, first they came for the communists, and I did not speak out because I was not a communist. Then they came for the trade unionists, and I did not speak out because I was not a trade unionist. Then they came for the Jews, and I did not speak out because I was not a Jew. Then they came for me, and there was no one left to speak for me. Why do I bring that up? Not for dramatic effect. Bring it up because those words can be piercing. And they apply to us today. And it's why I do what I do here. And I don't have a lot of remuneration for doing this. It's I believe it's something that God has asked me to do, and all of you make it worthwhile for me to be here. I feel it's a mission that I have. I feel that you and I are contributing to the furtherance of honesty and integrity in society and in politics by discussing these issues. And, and, and we're helping each other and we're helping other people understand the issues more deeply. So I think this is an important thing. So to me, it's about the greater good. And that, that's why I do show up here. And then uh, two uh, quotes from Professor Alan Dershowitz. Although I have always been a liberal Democrat, I have never put party over principle. Although I've always been a liberal Democrat, I have never put party over principle. He's talking about identity politics there. And then, and this comes to the education system. We are teaching students by example. Notice he says by example. We're teaching students by example that they will be better off being politically correct than principally consistent. You see, it's all about putting principle above identity politics. All right, talking about striking, let's find out what you think. 209-551-3483. Let's see what Phil thinks from Rippin. Phil, welcome. What are your thoughts today? Oh, how are you doing today, Mike? I'm uh, I'm boiling hot. I'm sure you are too. Um, but, you know, I don't believe in strikes either. But there is something that I have to bring up, and it's another point of view. What about all the people that were in the healthcare and enforcement and military who lost their jobs because they didn't get vaccinated? Yes. What protection do they have? 
And it's just a, another way of looking at it. I, I have many friends that didn't work because they didn't want to be vaccinated. It's kind of, it's another side of the coin. They have strike ability. I don't like strikes. I really don't. People are, in this, they have to have subtext in what in our state. Anyway, that's all I want to say. Yeah, Phil, your your cell phone is um, is going the way of the buffalo there. Uh, let let me. Uh, I so got sorry. No, that's all right. That's all right. Uh, I got the gist of of your message there, Phil. I think you make an excellent point, and it, it's good. It's a good point about the other side of the coin. What about healthcare workers? What about those uh, folks in the military? What What about people who were told you are fired unless you get the vaccine? Well, now we know, by the way, did you, now we know the vaccine doesn't prevent COVID-19. Did you, did you see this story that Pfizer's CEO has tested positive for COVID-19? He says, I would like to let you know that I have tested positive for COVID-19. He's 60 years old, Albert Borla. And he's received four doses of his own company's COVID-19 vaccine. And it's shown to be increasingly ineffective against infection from the virus that causes COVID-19 and severe illnesses. So he's he's saying, well, I have uh, mild symptoms. But here's the CEO of Pfizer having taken four doses, I guess, of his own medicine, so to speak, (laughs) he's got COVID-19. In April 2021, he shared the results from a study that was said to show Pfizer's vaccine was 100% effective in preventing COVID-19 cases in South Africa. However, these vaccines have been shown to be far less effective against both infection and severe illness as these newer virus variants have emerged. Am I glad he got COVID-19? No. I'm not happy anyone contracts a disease. But it does seem interesting that here the CEO of Pfizer who over a year ago pointed to a study out of South Africa that said his vaccine was 100% effective in preventing COVID-19. So I, so I, I'm, I'm coming back to Phil's point that, yeah, okay, I, I do see the other side of the coin there. And uh, I'm uh, like you, Phil, I am not in favor of strikes in general. I understand why unionization came in at the beginning, and I think that was good. I think working conditions were horrible. But at the point we are now, I'm not sure that all of this is being done out of the kindness of their hearts. I think it has to do a lot with the dollar and and uh, I, I don't know, mental health care workers going on strike, just I'm not well settled with that. 
We'll find out what you think uh, in five minutes. John from Salida, hang in there, my friend. We'll get to you again in five minutes here on the Mike Douglas Show on Power Talk 1360 KFIV. The Mike Douglas Show, now weekdays from 3 till 5 on Power Talk 1360 KFIV. With the big news of the day, here's more of the Mike Douglas Show. Now weekdays from 3 till 5 on Power Talk 1360 KFIV. And welcome back to the Mike Douglas Show here on this Monday afternoon on Power Talk 1360 KFIV. Been talking about strikes and uh, my my opinion that certain industries ought not to strike out of conscience. Uh, law enforcement, fire and rescue, Healthcare workers, air traffic controllers, uh, but I've also uh, entertained, and, and Phil brought up a, a good point, and he's uh, he's saying, well, you know, look at the other side of the coin. Look at those workers that were fired because they, uh, in good conscience, could not take uh, the vaccine, which we now know to be not as effective as it was purported to be. Uh, so we're trying to really take a look at this from every perspective possible. Let's get your perspective, 209-551-3483. What do you think about striking, especially in the healthcare industry or across some other uh, related fields that uh, affect the public safety? 209-551-3483. Let's get another opinion from John from Salida. Hi, John. What are your thoughts? How are you doing, Mike? Um, I think that, uh, you know, as far as police officers and uh, firemen and uh, that category, I don't believe they should strike for money because I think when they took that position, they uh, took that position for the position and not for the money, and they could negotiate that later. But that being said, I think they have a real good reason to strike when the citizens uh, of their community strike back at them, if they're mm. going to be targeted, if mm. they're going to be assassinated, if they're going to be, uh, you know, light fires to bring them in and to uh, kill them. Uh, and, you know, such things like that. I think they have a very good reason to strike. And I wouldn't, I would just leave the community to themselves if they're going to do that kind of thing. That's very interesting. Let's, uh, let's think about a, for instance, uh, let's look at, well, let's look at Minneapolis, Minnesota. Uh, let, let's look at, uh, well, let, let, let's limit it. Let, let's keep focused here. Minneapolis, Minnesota. We, we saw the riots, right, of uh, 2000. Uh, we saw a lot of hue and cry uh, against police officers. We, out of that, grew this whole defunding the police. I'm... Uh, I'm inclined to lean your direction, John. <laughs> Hadn't thought of that, but that that's a good, good point. When law enforcement becomes the, the target of the wrath of society, you know, maybe it is time for them to stand up and say, we're not coming back to work unless you provide some protections for us. Is that, is that am I grabbing your, your thought there okay? Absolutely. Absolutely, because it's the politicians who dictate what's going on, and if they're not going to back up the police officers and give them 100% uh, protection, then that's exactly what I'm saying. Is it when in, the, in that sort of discourse where 
Uh, they're going to let the citizens run wild, and you know what? Then that's when the police officers and the fire department need to just back off, let them burn themselves down, let them do what they need to do, and then in time they will come to their senses. Yeah, I think, uh, well, Portland, Oregon, John, wouldn't that be another uh, good example of this? And Oh, my gosh. Right? Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah, that's a great. Yeah, look at that. Look what fiasco that became. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, that. Yes, you know, there's other countries that would have sent in the military in there and taken care of it. And, you know, it would have been squashed yeah. in, you know, in no time. Exactly. But they left it to uh, our police officers, and then look at our police officers. What isn't isn't that the uh, where uh, the uh, police station overrun by the citizens? Yeah. Well, yes. Uh, police uh, a police station was not only overrun; it was pretty much uh, destroyed. Uh, John, thanks for great point. Thanks for the call. Uh, two brilliant points back to back. Uh, bringing to my mind, well, yeah, there's another side of the coin I hadn't considered, uh, both Phil and John bringing up some some good points there. So think about this for a moment. I'm, gonna, I'm going to extend uh, the, the thought that John was talking about here for a moment. In a city, for example, that, and, and fortunately, nowhere around where I live, intentionally defunded the police as a method of trying to get rid of law enforcement and to replace it with something else. But there were areas in the country where that was the case. And when that's the case, when you're, you are, by defunding the police, you are putting the public at tremendous risk. And so to me, I could see a strike there on behalf of law enforcement because uh, the powers that be have put the public itself at great, and they've put police officers, they put deputies at at risk because of the reductions in force. You no longer have the backups you had you used to have. Maybe you're working one man or one woman cars in areas where it should be two. Maybe you don't have enough units out there to uh, patrol an area that really needs a, a, a bigger ratio of law enforcement officers to the public. So I, I got you. Uh, two two great points there. Talk. Uh, and what about a good good example of the uh, of law enforcement there? I like that. What about the healthcare industry? I'm I'm still thinking about that, especially in terms of mental health care workers. You go on strike. What does that do? To your patients who count on you to be there, who are having mental issues, emotional issues. I mean, this is not something I would think that patients with mental illnesses would understand. And I, I am more than willing to see the other side of the coin. You're all you're doing a very good job of that today, and helping uh, helping me see that. Our number here two zero nine five five one three four eight three two zero nine five five one three four eight three. Uh, also, want to talk about as as we're thinking about that something that has been really bothering me for about a week. And this is the case of this missing teenager, uh, Kylie Rodney. This is out of Placer County. Uh, 16-year-old Kylie Rodney, if you remember, 
Uh, she went missing uh, over a week ago, last seen uh, on the night of a party on August 6th. She was wearing an odd future sweatshirt. I'm not sure what that is, but that's pretty specific. Placer County Sheriff's Office uh, apparently has posted a photo of her sweatshirt on their Facebook page. And uh, her father, other volunteers, and some good-hearted people are now offering $75,000 in order for, for information about her whereabouts. This disturbs me a lot. She was at a party... And I, I guess she was seen, what, it was a Saturday, Saturday night party. She was seen about uh, 30 minutes after midnight. That would be Sunday morning on August 7. There were more than 200 teenagers and young adults at this campground at the Prosser Creek Reservoir uh, north of Truckee. Apparently her phone was turned off and her car, a silver, a silver Honda CRV, is is also missing. Does that seem possible to you? 200 people, in in some ways, you say, well, that's a pretty big crowd, but if you consider gatherings, 200, uh, if, if a young lady goes missing, you would think somebody within that 200-person gathering would have seen something. Nobody saw anything. Nobody knows what happened to her. This boggles my mind. Uh, Kylie, she's five foot seven, hundred fifteen pounds, blonde hair, hazel eyes. Her car is a silver twenty thirteen Honda CRV, and the plate eight YUR that says in yellow Union Robert phonetically eight. YUR one two seven eight YUR one two seven twenty thirteen silver Honda CRV, and they're asking for anyone with information to call information to call the sheriff's department five three zero eight eight six five three seven five. That's five three zero eight eight six five three seven five, and then they have an anonymous tip line at five three zero five eight one. 6320. I guess you press number 7. 530-581-6320, option 7, to provide uh, any information. Doesn't that seem odd to you? Now, if it were uh, a stadium filled with 10,000, 15,000, 20,000 people, I can understand she may have been just another crowd member and nobody really noticed. But when you're talking about only 200 people, it's odd to me that nobody noticed anything. And I'm not making any accusations here. I'm I'm just thinking how odd it is that nobody... Does that seem odd to you? 209-551-3483, our number here as the Mike Douglas Show continues on Power Talk 1360 KFIV. On air and online. Take the Mike Douglas Show with you with the iHeartRadio app. Search 1360 KFIV. And welcome back to the Mike Douglas Show here on Power Talk 1360 KFIV. 
Here's another thing that uh, Mondays are very interesting to me. I get the whole weekend, and I'm I don't have the weekend off. Obviously, as a pastor, I'm writing sermons and delivering them, and all sorts of other ministry things. But uh, it does give me some downtime from current events, just to think through things and watch what's happening. Here's an interesting note, and that, as you know, in this area, in the Modesto area. Save Mart was bought out. What, back in a couple of months ago? Was it March? They were bought out by a management uh, firm. Uh, King, Kingswood, I think was the name, Capital Management, based in Los Angeles. Now, Save Mart for a long time has been a family-owned business. And I'm a fairly frequent, almost I would say weekly, customer at various Save Marts. I also am a customer at Rayleigh's and O'Brien's and other places as well. But uh, this story is about Savemark. And this, so they were bought out by this private equity firm. And I've just been thinking in my mind, what, uh, what's going to happen with that? And, of course, we immediately saw that the private equity firm went back on promises that were made to people about their retirements. That was something that affected the employees. That was not good. That wasn't a good indication. Well, now news comes that apparently the management company, they are going to shut down the pharmacies inside Save Marts and Lucky Supermarkets. And their pharmacy services for existing customers are going to be transferred to Walgreens, I guess. Now, I don't use the pharmacy services at Save Mart. But I'm wondering, for those who do, what do you think about this? Is this another an, another indication that here we go again? The big company, the big investors come in, really don't care about the local community. They certainly didn't care about those retiring uh, employees when they went back on some of the guarantees those employees had received early on in their careers decades ago. So now they're going to take the, the uh, pharmacies out. Now, as you also may know, those kind of cute little robot things that deliver food, they always remind me of Star Wars for some reason. Anyway, they're no longer either, but that, I, I believe that was a decision by the company that provides the little robot-y things. Um, but anyways, just uh, I'm, I'm worried about Save Mart. I'm worried when an institution, really, a retail institution that has been family-run for, for so long loses that connection, that personal connection with the neighborhood. It loses that personal connection with customers. It's all about the dollar. Not that it's not about the dollar in a family-owned business. I understand that. Business is business, and you have to look at the profit line. But is this a um, is this a mile post that you're worried about for the Save Mart? Is this something you're concerned about? Is it an, another indication that we're going to be losing some of the good service we've had in the past? And again, Save Mart is not the only 
supermarket I go to, I go to others as well. Again, I mentioned uh, Rayleigh's and, and O'Brien's. Spent a lot of time with all three. I'm concerned. I really am. I'm concerned. 209-551-3483. Are you concerned as well? 209-551-3483 here on the Mike Douglas Show on Power Talk 1360 KFIV. Here's, uh, (laughs) for those of you who traverse to the Bay Area, San Francisco, maybe you not only commute, maybe you live there and you work here. It's usually the other way around. But anyway, if you're in San Francisco a lot, you know they're, they're, they've done some research and uh, the city of San Francisco paid a company about $20,000 to come up with new kinds of trash cans. That Now that's 20K per trash can. Yeah, they hired a Bay Area industrial firm to custom design trash cans as as prototypes, and, and they cost between nineteen thousand and eleven thousand each. Let me reverse that: eleven thousand to nineteen thousand each. So residents now have the opportunity to evaluate these prototypes, and they they have the the general, I guess you could call them. Uh, regular run-of-the-mill options as well. But apparently last month, the city deployed 15 of these custom trash cans and 11 off-the-shelf trash cans. Now, the off-the-shelves only cost $630 to $2,800 apiece. So they want to know from the public, what do you think about this? Well, three weeks after being unveiled, several of these prototypes have already been tagged with orange and white graffiti. Others uh, already show stains, and uh, there's dumping, people leaving dilapidated bathroom cabinets and plastic bags full of empty wine bottles next to them. Uh, So apparently... Maybe they're not having the effect they were supposed to have. I guess my question is, do you think that's a good use of between $11,000 and $19,000 a piece for the prototypes? Is, is that a good investment? Would, whether you live in San Francisco or not, let's say you're in Modesto or Stockton or, or wherever, Merced. Did, would you like your local government to... Pay $11,000 to $19,000 for trash can prototypes? I can see that at theme parks. Disneyland, Universal Studios, uh, Magic Mountain, Six Six Flags, whatever. Because that's part of the business. You want people to use those trash cans, and so you want to make them attractive. But it's their business. They're not using public funds to do this. I'm just a little worried about San Francisco and this. Given all the problems they have, they're spending that much money on trash can prototypes. Now, in fairness, in fairness, once if they design one of the custom built prototypes, it'll be two thousand to three thousand dollars per trash receptacle. Versus 
the run of the mill off the shelf, which those types only cost, oh, what, what did I say, $630 or something like that, uh, up to maybe $2,800. I don't know. Yeah, 630 to $2,800. I, I'm thinking run of the mill trash cans are more cost effective. What do I know? Well, what I know is I love sharing the conversation with you, and I'll be back tomorrow from 3 to 5 p.m. here on the Mike Douglas Show as we continue the conversation on Power Talk 1360 KFIV. Have a great night.